We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. I've changed fundamentally, and when we transition to the after period, that will stay with me. I have changed fundamentally. It's not like I'm going to go back to the Harry that was living two years ago. Things have shifted in me, some for the good, some for not so good, and I'm right. aware of that. But fundamentally, I've become actually a bit more strong in myself, a bit more present, a bit more awake to the world. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 164, PH Factor, Future Unknown, Us, Post-COVID. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Now that's coffee. Oh, that's very good. I'll have it black. Mm-hmm. I'll have it black. That's Brazilian espresso. I love that coffee. I'll take it black. Mm-hmm. Do you like the biscuit? Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a good biscuit. It goes it's good, good with coffee. It's a solid biscuit. It's it's solid. It's <laughs> all. <laughs> See? Hello, everyone. So anyway, Harry, back from Mexico and back in the studio because last week you weren't around. Muy bien, gracias. Oh, you picked up a little uh, Spanish in Mexico. A little Spanish. Yeah, I was invited to go down to Mexico hmm. to do a kind of work gig. And expenses were paid, and that was just amazing. And I thought, how can I turn this down? And this is during a period when the government is poo-pooing non-essential travel And so I thought I'd give the finger to the government and just go and do this thing because legally I'm entitled to do that. Now that may change shortly and we'll talk about that. But I went down there and in Mexico there's no need for quarantining and there's no need for any kind of uh, testing in Mm -hmm. advance. Mm -hmm. If you have symptoms you have to quarantine but otherwise that country welcomes people to its land because it needs the tourism for Mm -hmm. one thing. Mm That was beautiful. So the trip there was easy peasy, no issues at all. It's on the way back that the Canadian government's restrictions kick in. And so I had to test before getting on the airplane three days prior, which I did, negative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was a horrible experience, I have to tell you. (laughs) We'll go into that maybe at some point. Got on the plane, got to Toronto airport, easy peasy. They did another test at the airport because I'm not vaxxed. Mm -hmm. And very easy, that one was no big deal. That was negative as well. And then I went home and quarantined, per the book. Mm -hmm. On day eight, did another test with a home kit, which was negative again. During that 14 days of quarantine, I got three or four phone calls from the government checking up on to see whether I'm still quarantining, asking the pertinent questions, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Had one physical visitor come to my front door to check that I was quarantining. So I have to hand it to the government. When they want to get tyrannical on people's heads, they do a very good job. Taking away your freedoms and making sure you're locked up, they're very efficient at it. So I have to hand it to them on that front. They did a good job. And so now I'm free. Mm. I'm no longer incarcerated. But as of somewhere around December of this year, if the legislation goes through, the Mm -hmm. federal legislation, I'll be a prisoner in my own country. Mm -hmm. Not only that, a prisoner in my own province, because I can't get on a plane, a train, to go anywhere out of province either, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, there'll be people listening that will be saying, so what? Well, screw you, so what? You have Mm -hmm. your freedoms, I think I deserve mine, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the reality right now. 
this is part of what we're talking about today, which is what is the transition that's going to occur? What's our position? What do you see going forward with this yeah. whole thing? The more polarization that happens as this period keeps unfolding, the longer it will be to heal the wounds, the divides. Because they're pretty deep among friends, among family, politically, mm -hmm. socially. These divides have really put a wedge in our psyches in some ways. So what do you see as the transition? Where do you think this is going? Where are we headed? Well, it depends on what level of society we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, economically, countries have gone into debt mm -hmm. big time over this. Supply chains have been broken and are still broken. The superconductor supply chain in particular is supposed to be a very, very important element of the whole thing, and it's broken. Well, it's connected to all our technologies. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's an area that is really a problematic thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to take years to repair the economic infrastructures that have been torn down and torn apart in the last two years. It's going to take years. What do you think about our psyches? Do you think that will take years too? Oh, yeah. And probably longer than the economic recovery. I know you feel pretty strongly about this. And I'm interested in hearing your views on this because I'm trying to establish my own position, mm. which doesn't seem to be the same, but I totally get what you're saying. I'm experiencing it differently, but I don't think it's because of the circumstances, probably just the way my brain works or the way I defend myself against this whole thing. I'm not sure which. Yeah. But I know that you've been on this for some time in terms of the severity of it, that it's not just about COVID or about uh, immunization or about passports. It's, it's more than that for you in terms of what's really happening. Yeah. So how do you think this all factors in into the transition part of it? Well, um, <laughs> first of all, I've been saying all along and other people as well, that this situation that we are still living through mm -hmm. is not simple. It's complex. What got us here was, in a way, the ignoring of the complexity of human nature. Mm -hmm. Governments, health departments have laid down restrictions and protocols that have gone across all the demographics, all the age groups, regardless of socioeconomic status, which country you're in. It seems that the entire world adopted the very same policies mm -hmm. for everyone, regardless of differences. But differences make a difference in human nature. And before you continue, do you think there is an absence of clarity in this whole thing? There's never been clarity. <laughs> That's the problem. Never been clarity. Uh, governments have been operating in this kind of cloud of semi-certainty or uncertainty. The science is there, but it's not really there. It suggests this, it suggests that, and emergency use only, ba 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 ba. There's never been clarity. So how long will it take after the fact, after COVID is clear, for clarity, again, it's going to take years because there will be post-mortems on all of the measures that have been taken. So one of the differences, one of the transitional elements mm -hmm. is that different areas of the world are not experiencing this situation in the same way. In some places like Russia, there's surges now, mm -hmm. where in India, it's gone down to almost nothing. Mm -hmm. So Again, we should state that we're talking about cases. I think it's an important thing to know when we talk about these things that we're talking primarily here 
about cases, not hospitalizations or deaths. Yeah, hospitalizations and deaths are not really keeping pace with cases. And I'm putting air quotes as I say cases, because as we know, the PCR test is notorious for producing false positives, especially when the incidence of the virus is low in a community or a society. Mm. The false positives can go up to 97%, apparently. And this is understood. So when somebody says cases, and when the media says cases, or when they say infections equaling cases, that is incorrect. You cannot say that cases are infections mm -hmm. in this case because of how uncertain the PCR tests have been. So mm. these surges in so-called cases in Russia or wherever else, it has to be tempered with an understanding that there's a certain percentage of those cases that are simply not COVID positive at all. They're really not. Mm -hmm. Regardless of your position, it's obvious, even from some of the things you've said, and some people will agree and some people will disagree with your statements. But the point is, that has just exacerbated the whole question of clarity. This is part of the problem that we're going to encounter, I think, with the transition, because trust has been broken. Yeah, completely. And that test, I guarantee you, I mean, we can already see the implications of this uncertain test. Even the CDC has tempered the use of the PCR test. The WHO has said that the cycle threshold levels at which the test is processed mm -hmm. have been too high. It produces false positives, so it has to be dropped down lower. But this is like a, a year and a half after the fact, after all these statistics have been thrown at people that are not really real in a sense because they were processed at a high, high level. Mm -hmm. So too many false positives. So lack of clarity all the way through has led to a lack of trust in science and in government and in health officials. Which kind of explains why so many people have taken things into their own hands. Mm-hmm. This is the part of the media that bothers me personally, is the way they tend to denigrate those who do not so-called cooperate or get vaccinated without asking questions as to why they're not. They're not all anti-vaxxers. No. They have their reasons, and some of them are very good reasons. Mm -hmm. And in many places, they're pulling back on their original enforcements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look up anti-vaxxer in Merriam-Webster's dictionary... It's very surprising. The definition that's given. What is it? I don't have it verbatim, but it's someone who is against vaccination or is against the regulations and mandating of vaccines. So you could be against the vaccine Man mandates mandate. without being anti-vaccination, in which case much of the world are anti-vaxxers then, mm -hmm. more than people think. Mm -hmm. It's not a minority right. when you look at the actual definition of it. But the fact is that these doctors and health officials that are not taking the vaccine and are walking away from their jobs at the hospitals, etc., after the fact, in the transitional period, these doctors and health officials are gathering together in groups and are forming associations of ethical medical professionals, mm -hmm. right, who are going to be honest with their patients. They're not going to be lying about the risk-benefit ratios of the vaccines. They're going to be honest about the side effects and all these things, very counter to what the mainstream medical world has been doing in the last while. So that's what's going to happen, too. There's going to be these groups groups form, I believe, mm -hmm. of ethical medical associations that will be distinct from the mainstream. How do you see the involvement of people who are decidedly on different sides? We still have great divisions. Yeah. 
and the media is nonstop with their commentaries on the people who aren't, quote, cooperating. Yeah. How do you see this as a source of the transitionary period? How do you think we're going to overcome this? Are both sides, do you believe, going to come to a point of acceptance, or will this continue? It's going to take a long time. There are people out there who will never and I mean never until their dying day, step into a room with someone who is not vaccinated. They just won't do it, which is a deep shame and completely unscientific. Anyways, there is that divide because of these, pardon my language, fucking mandates. Mm. Now I have to put an explicit stamp on this podcast. <laughs> put an explicit comment. Put an explicit That's just fine by me. <laughs> but they are that. I feel they're completely illegal and immoral and unethical. So the problem that I see here is there doesn't seem to be a let up in the pursuit of getting everyone vaccinated because now they're really focusing on the young. Yep. This is another area of debate. This one I don't think is going to go quite as easy. No. no. However, everyone's got their opinion, so I don't want to make it so much a dialogue about agreement or disagreement as I do about this added level of resistance, which I believe will occur. Yep. especially from parents who aren't certain. Because it's one thing to make decisions about yourself as an adult, making one for your children who are completely reliant on you for their well-being. It's a little bit more challenging to make that decision. However this turns out, though, I'm curious in this transition as to whether or not we'll ever go back to a peaceful coexistence. Well, have we ever had a peaceful coexistence, really? <laughs> when you think about, well, in the U.S., the political divisions have gotten worse and worse over the last decade. Mm -hmm. In Canada, it's more subtle, but those divisions are really there between the left and right, etc. They're quite strong. Well, I've really noticed them over the last couple of years, much yeah. more than I would have otherwise. You know, all this talk about woke culture mm -hmm. being more right-wing in their approach than right-wingers kind of thing. All of these uh, socioeconomic, political movements and ideologies, they've all kind of shifted their positions in a very interesting way over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know how that's going to evolve once COVID is considered to be a thing of the past, whatever that means. Well, we're talking about post-COVID. What does post-COVID mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It would mean something like a world in which COVID-19 is considered something like a bad flu. Right? In my opinion, it's already there. Well, governments have recognized that that's how we have to approach it. A full year or more after the fact was known, really. But I should say, that's just the way I'm experiencing it. To me, it seems endemic already. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is in most countries endemic already. And this emergency use acts that keep these restrictions in place, the justification for them is less and less as the days go by and as the curves drop down to low levels of hospitalization and deaths, especially. If the hospitals aren't being overwhelmed, why the hell are these restrictions being put in place? Right. The part that I have the most difficulty with is not the population. I mean, none of us are experts in this mm -hmm. field, mm -hmm. the population at large, we're relying on the feedback, the comments, the science that is being at least given to us through the media, through our government officials, politicians, and so on. The part that I find a little bit troublesome and makes me wonder about whether this will ever come to some kind of fruition is that 
Regardless of the percentage, you can argue that 90% for, 10 against, 85, whatever the numbers are, the point is that amongst scientists and medical people, specific experts in this whole area of immunization and so on, there is not total agreement. Correct. To me, that is the single most bothersome thing in terms of whether or not we can all at least agree that that is a problem. It's a big problem. Look, at the CDC recently on their website came out with a statement, and here's the statement, that wearing a mask will give you 80% protection against COVID. 80, 80% mm-hmm. protection. Mm-hmm. The latest studies on mask wearing in India and elsewhere show something like 11 to 15% protection if you're wearing a medical mask. Cloth masks, they're showing no benefit, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay? How can you square that, the science of that, with 80% protection announced by the CDC? That's ridiculous mm-hmm. and completely untrue. And yet there it is on the official site of the CDC. So clarity again, right? Mm -hmm. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? So again, we're running around this tree. We're playing this endless tag. We don't seem to be able to come to some conclusion on this. Again, I come to the question of transition. Can all of us, whether we're for, against, come to some kind of an agreement that we're not ever going to come to a full agreement. Sure. That's the way it appears right now. Yeah. I think we talked about this earlier before this podcast. We talked about the idea that it's not the government that is going to lead us out of this situation, whatever that means. It's the people. The people will lead us out. The people will say, it's enough. We can see that it's not going away. We're beginning to treat it in a more relaxed fashion taking precautions here and there, but we're not going to be locking down. There's no need for everyone to have a jab in the arm all the time. We're going to treat it like the flu. At least 50% of people do not take the flu shot. Nobody's going to force them to take the flu shot. It's going to be the same with this as well. Mm -hmm. And so the healing is going to be people-inspired, people-to-people, personal, relational, in families, where that divide is going to be healed up eventually, but it's the people who are going to lead us out of the situation. Okay. We have the responsibility to do it, not the government, ultimately. Okay, so that's where you and I totally agree. And I've had that feeling for a long time, not just about COVID, but about a lot of things that we deal with every day mm-hmm. with our governments and politicians, that ultimately we choose which direction is going to go in the sense that as much authoritative power that's over us, so to speak, yeah. it's still ultimately us the collective us yeah. that's going to affect or influence the decisions that are being made from the top. Yeah, plus with the help of the courts. As courts start to find in favor of citizens over the state, which has happened already in the U.S., most mm-hmm. recent court decision to stop the Biden vaccine mandates mm-hmm. for companies with 100 or more employees, OSHA legislation, that has been paused by the courts. Yeah. So that's, in a sense, a small victory for the citizens, from my point of view. And there are court cases around the world that are ongoing. Mm-hmm. And if they start to fall in favor of citizens over the state, this thing, again, will start to dissipate because governments will not be able to carry on Mm -hmm. with the restrictive measures that they've instituted or feel free to use them in future. Right. And you just mentioned something when you say the phrase around the world. Well, we have quite a variance 
in the situations that are happening in different countries. We hear primarily Western developed country news, the US, yeah. the UK, Canada. Yeah. We don't hear too much about Africa, the Middle East. Nothing going on in Africa. It's extremely low incidence of this thing. Nothing going on. Africa's great. India's looking good. There are places like Singapore, one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, huge surges in so-called cases. Mm -hmm. So the whole justification for vaccination, it's all in question when you look at what's going on in those countries. It's not clear that vaccination is our way out of this thing, which has been the narrative all along. It's mm -hmm. not clear at all. But don't so, you find it odd that some of the most powerful, wealthy nations in the world are the ones that seem to be encountering the greatest problems with this? Well, because they're the most vaccinated, for one. Well, I think, I think it's also about general health. Oh, well, th that too, of course, yes, because it's well known that obesity is one of the big factors in the outcome mm -hmm. of COVID-19 in the United States, especially, and in other places as well, right? Right. Uh, also, levels of vitamin D deficiency, big determinant of how severe the disease is. All of these things, no one has talked about these things in any serious form from the level of the government or the health officials in the government, which is a real crime against humanity, in my view. So let's talk about transition specifically. What's it going to take for us to get back to a level of civility and understanding? Well, from my point of view, until I get my freedoms back, my fundamental basic freedoms back, there will be no civility in terms of my voice. I will fight this until the end, until my okay. dying breath. Yep. So there's no way I, as a citizen, I'm going to sit here and allow this government in Canada to create a situation of medical apartheid, okay. dividing people against each other, keeping a segment of the population and turning them into lepers and objects of hatred from the point of view of the government and other citizens and all that bullshit that is not on in this country and I will fight till the end. And there are other people who believe the same thing I do and will fight as well. Fair enough, and I hear that clearly. So let's talk about people in that camp who feel that strongly. What are we talking about in terms of what is it that we need to hear that perhaps would mellow that out a little bit. In other words, where you will stick to that particular thinking, but you'll be more open to hearing yeah. options. Uh, no vaccine mandates, mm -hmm. period. No forced vaccination on children. No masking of children in schools. That's ridiculous and unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Masking in hospitals, fine long-term care facilities, whatever, fine, because protect the elderly and the vulnerable, which is what the Great Barrington Declaration had suggested we do over a year ago. And it was ignored and vilified and made fun of, but it's exactly what we should have been doing from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I believe we need to go to what the Great Barrington Declaration said and follow its prescriptions because it's the most logical and it agrees with what the WHO and other pandemic response strategies right. had been put in place for years and years and years for just this occasion. And it was completely turned on its head and ignored in favor of these unscientific lockdowns and vaccine coercions, completely wrong headed. And the world followed this skewed path down this road of insanity. Mm -hmm. And so we have to transition out of insanity. 
think about it that way. You have to transition out of insanity back to sanity, whatever that means. So what do we say to the people who are of the opposite opinion, who think this is all hogwash and that we're being selfish, uh, we don't have these rights, uh, that we are taking certain actions or making decisions that are negatively affecting those who are vaccinated or who are afraid and believe that it is those on the other side that are the cause of the problem, not their own health, not the conditions that exist and so on. We're kind I'm of laughing this. because it's so ludicrous. Right. If you're vaccinated, why are you afraid of someone who's unvaccinated, yeah. who is supposedly more vulnerable to the thing and will get a more serious outcome? What mm -hmm. are you afraid of? Back off. Don't be ridiculous. If you're that afraid, then what is the point of the vaccine period? It's not giving you immunization. You're not being immunized. What the vaccination amounts to is a treatment. Mm -hmm. It's a treatment. It's like taking an Advil for a headache. Taking the Advil, the, the headache is diminished. That's yes. exactly what they're doing. Yes. You take the vaccine, the COVID-19 symptoms are diminished. That's all it is. Right. All it's it not is. a cure. It's not a cure. It doesn't stop the spread of the virus, which was really implicitly promised at the beginning of the vaccine rollout. Mm -hmm. Implicitly promised that this would be the end of it, right? But it was not the end of it. So you would think that if both sides could at least agree that the vaccines are not a cure, but it's providing other things that may be helpful, but it's not providing a cure. Yeah. To me, that's a starting point for transition. Well, I hope so, but it's, it's not just us agreeing, it's the whole mindset of the health system, mm -hmm. right? That has been geared towards drugs and allopathic medicine and not towards natural medicines and natural ways of boosting the immune system and that sort of thing. There has to be a transition more in that direction now. And maybe we'll have learned from this whole situation to think about that more, to think about our immune systems more and to think about our health and the basic qualities of life. And right? our environment, the way we live sure. and our lifestyles. If you've ever needed any kind of proof for all these other things that are failing us, mm -hmm. this is giving it to you in spades. Yeah, and maybe the transition will be to a better way of setting up hospital care, mm -hmm. a better way of dealing with long-term care. I mean, these things will improve as a result of this thing. So we're gonna to transition to a different world in that respect, and that's a good thing. There are good things that are gonna come out of it. People are going to reconsider their career paths, they're going to reconsider how they live their daily lives, consider changing priorities our excessive consumerism, yeah. uh, the things that have brought us here. It amazes me how people often talk about things as if they're disconnected. Yeah, right. Mm. COVID is here, climate change is here. Yeah, they're different issues. Fossil fuels are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our diets are here. Right. We eat too much meat is here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all a way of thinking. Yeah. And it's all, again, very cliche, follow the money. Yeah, uh, yeah. In Western developed countries, that's the primary objective. Yeah, and so the transition we're talking about needs to be towards a more holistic understanding right. of life on the planet and how everything relates and connects. Exactly. And, you know, people have been talking about that for a long time. That's not a new idea. No. Right? No. The interconnectivity of all the ecosystems and all that. But we have to kind of take the lessons over the last couple of years and apply them and become more self-aware as individuals mm -hmm. and as communities as well. And as we say, heal the divides. Now, the interesting thing about that, I just came across a, a YouTube video of Jordan Peterson, of all people. Yeah. And he expressed the hope 
of this healing and of the self-awareness. It's beautiful. Do we want revenge or justice? Do we want contempt or mercy? Do we want war or peace? And what are you aiming at in your heart of hearts? I see even the best of men degenerating into the exchange of blows. I see even the best of men identifying the enemy in our neighbors and friends. I see even the best of men falling prey to cowardice and self-righteous anger. It needs to stop. I need to stop. You need to stop before it's too late. Who is the enemy here? The snake in your heart? The lies on your tongue? The arrogance of your intellect? The cowardice of our refusal to see? The enemy is that which divides to sow discord. The enemy is the pride and the fear that stops us from lending a hand across the divide. The enemy is the great and eternal adversary of mankind. And if we demonize our brothers, our comrades in arms, do we not precisely call that dread spirit forth? Have we not yet learned? Courage. Trust. Truth. Love. Even unto your enemy, which is yourself. The thing that's underlying his words is a kind of spiritual religious... Yes. Uh, awakening. Awakening, thank you. Awakening that I think a lot of people have gone through as well. Whether they defined it as that or not. Or not. When you change your priorities, other things change with it. Mm -hmm. if, yeah. if health becomes a priority or peace of mind or removal of stress, yeah. I think this is what this whole COVID situation is highlighting. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the transition is multilateral. Yeah. There's not one thing that will change. There are many things that have to work together in order for us to transition mm -hmm. in a very positive way that will ultimately benefit us all. Because I think that's the other issue that is a serious consideration to making transitions. And that is looking at when you take certain actions, who are the beneficiaries of those actions? Mm -hmm. And if the actions taken do not send benefits across the board, then you've got to reconsider what it is that you're doing. Well, I mean, governments are put in power to do just that. They're supposed to make decisions that benefit the most people, the common good, mm -hmm. etc. So we're going to have to transition to maybe a different understanding of what the common good means mm -hmm. in some ways. Exactly. So that's a whole other level of rethinking and discussion that people will get into and governments will get into, et cetera, et cetera. The whole risk-benefit analysis for big decisions like 
the ones that were made back in March of 2020 mm -hmm. and through these last two years, there was no risk-benefit analysis as far as we could tell in the early days of this thing. And there still hasn't been really <laughs> such a thing. And so maybe people will insist on there being risk-benefit analyses before any major decisions in the future. Or that there'll be referendums like there were in Iceland and other places around the world. Mm -hmm. There have been referendums about these measures. Should we do them? Should we not? A referendum, and then the people decide. Way back in March of 2020, I was interviewed by someone out in New Zealand, and one of the questions was regarding the anticipatory yeah. situation, like what do you see happening? Mm -hmm. At the time, I said, I don't know how long this is going to go. What I do believe, though, is, is that the longer this goes on, the less reversible things will be. Sure. Yeah. So I think part of the transition here is, because we're now almost two years into this, I believe that some of the transitions that would have been temporary are no longer temporary. Yeah. At many levels, yeah. even at a personal level, I know in my personal life, I've changed fundamentally. And when we transition to the after period, mm -hmm. that will stay with me. I have changed fundamentally. It's not like I'm going to go back to the Harry that was living two years ago. Things have shifted in me, some for the good, some for not so good, and I'm right. aware of that. But fundamentally, I've become actually a bit more strong in myself, a bit more present, mm. a bit more awake to the world, and less afraid to actually be disliked yes. because of my views. Yes. And when you're part of a minority view, you have to expect to be disliked <laughs> and attacked. Yeah, and maybe that's why I found things easier because I've always kind of assumed that position. I always assumed that many of my views would not be popular and not because I was trying to be different, but because I had certain views. Yeah. And so I feel like I have more comrades now. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Honestly, sure. yeah. I feel that way now. I feel like I've actually have more allies. Not that I was looking for them, yeah. but it's really opened my eyes to friendships, working relationships, personal relationships. I have experienced it on a very personal level, even within the context of my own marriage, mm -hmm, sure. uh, in terms of it's giving me clarity, even more clarity on certain things. You mean about your relationship? About my relationship, about my position, about what my partner feels and how we're both affected. Yeah, uh, and how yeah. we both respond to things. And even though you both generally agree on this situation on COVID, there is a transitional period when we move out of it as well, right? To reestablish oh. the relationship on the new level that it's on now, right? Because relationships evolve and grow. And mine has also shifted and changed over the last two years. Sure. When you yeah. put together with your spouse, when you're not used to that, it's just not typical in the way you relate. Mm -hmm. It brings out the good and the bad and the ugly. Even if you agree, you don't necessarily agree on the pace. Exactly. You don't agree exactly. on how definitive the change will be because apart from whether you take a position, it's also the degree and the speed with which you make that change. Some people require much more time yeah. Yeah. to make that shift. It's like any addiction or any other thing that we experience. Some people can come out of it in a week. Some people take years. Sure. Some people fall back and so on. But even though there's been pain and suffering, there's also been an element of wow for me. Wow, what? Specifically, how I feel about certain things. Some of the things that I talked about frequently over the years since my teens was the issue of diet mm -hmm. related to how it affects not just your energy levels, but how it impacts your immune system, how it affects 
your attitude, even levels of depression. So activity, diets, uh, and so on. And now the focus, for example, the concerns with the food chain, Mm -hmm. with the quality of food that's affecting the way we respond even to medication, let alone finding medication that improves our condition. These things are now happening out in the open. Yeah, and beyond that, the anxiety levels that people have internalized over the last two years, they're going to have to find their way out of the system through yoga, through meditation, through alternative ways of healing, etc., as you say. But we have to diminish this anxiety to the point where we just feel comfortable again with each other. Mm-hmm. Because what's happened is we've been put in a place where we've been told that the other, the other person in the room is a potential killer, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? If you get too close, we have to get beyond that and make hugging a good thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Getting close just fine and party again and be with each other and be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're saying is that the transitional period is going to involve healing. It's going to involve a kind of a re-evaluation of our values and our systems of government and health and economics, all of these things are going to be finding a new shape. The kaleidoscope has been shifted, and the pieces will fall into a new pattern, essentially. Just like after 9-11, after every traumatic experience, there's a shifting in the pieces, and they fall into a different configuration. And ultimately, I think that will be determined. Again, my opinion is priorities. Priorities will establish where the emphasis goes. Once you understand or once you pick what is the most important or what are the most important things to you, I think that's one of the things that we're talking about in transition that to me is like the acme of transition. And that is, what is it that you value value the most? Exactly. And in priority, what is the thing that you must achieve? What is the thing you'd like to achieve? Yeah, sure. And I think that's where the, the shift, when we talk about transition, I think the transition has to be led by the priority. And as you said, it will likely, not just likely, I think it's happening right now, being led by people. Yeah, and if that leads to people being more awake to themselves Mm. and to the world around them, that's a good thing. And that's something we can look forward to and hope towards a kind of a better world in a way. So let's keep that thought in mind. I think the added vulnerability that COVID has brought on whether it's you're extremely fearful, even fearful of dying, and there are many people in that camp, or there are people who are concerned about the long-term effects and so on, these things are changing the way we appreciate one another. I I mean, I know that I'm doing things that I might not have done otherwise because I feel like there's a limit on time. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, what am I concerned about? I may not even be here in a week or a month. So you have a whole different approach Mm -hmm. to dealing with people and what you're willing to be vulnerable to. Yeah, sure. I've learned even from this podcast, just from having a conversation here. I've seen that change in you. You've talked about it, but I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never seen you so focused and willing to stand up for what you believe in. Yeah. Whereas before I saw it, but I saw it not in an overt way. I saw it through your poetry. I Mm. saw it through your books. Yeah. Okay. So that was happening, but it was kind of laying low because not everybody was reading your books or not everybody was listening to your poems but now you're not afraid to deal with people face to face and be willing to take on a conversation or dispute a point 
Yeah, I mean, people may or may not be aware that I've been the poet laureate of Dufferin County mm -hmm. for the last five years. And I recently handed in my resignation for that role, kind of as a form of protest against the continued restrictions right. on community gatherings and that sort of thing, which makes my job as poet laureate virtually impossible to do. Virtually is a good word. The only way of doing it is virtually. And so I decided to say, thank you, but no thank you. This is not working anymore. And until you guys dial back the restrictions and let people live their lives again and let community be community again, I don't feel I can do my job. And so I'm packing it in. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And I did that. So that's me standing up for what I believe and saying, in no uncertain terms, get your act together because you've screwed up. Now you have to unscrew your mess so that we can actually live our lives again. And that's a transition that's going to happen. We're going to transition back to living our lives, basically. Mm. That's the challenge. And the decision was probably easier to arrive at than past circumstances, right? More easily, yes, but really uh, sad-making. I didn't really want to do that, but something in me said, you have to do this. You have to make your statement now. Otherwise, it, this will just carry on. Well, so, what you just said, though, to me is also part of transition because you refer to it as... Sad. Yep. Sad to me is a softer term than can't take it. Mm -hmm. You're acknowledging it as something that you can work with. It's sad. It disappoints me. However, I have to make the transition. Right. Exactly. And it is a transition. Right. Versus it being terrible and I won't do it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah. on that note, we have to do it. We have to end this podcast. <laughs> Get the transition out of here. That's right. And into the real world and back to painting doors and windows at my house. And I'm not sure what you're doing today. Yeah. Uh, back to your world. And uh, we'll talk to you guys the next time. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to the SIL podcast.